But Luke chapter 17 and verse number 1, Then said he, the Lord Jesus, unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. I want to preach for just a little bit tonight on what does a sycamine tree have to do with me? The Lord Jesus said it is impossible, but that offenses will come. And offenses really is a word that needs no definition because all of us know what offenses are. Every person in this room has been offended or has been the offender more times than you can count. Uh, Some people are easily offended. Uh, Some people are hardly ever offended. But everybody is susceptible to offense. You cannot live kindly enough so that everybody will like you at all times. And you're not going to be so spiritual that you live on such a plane that nothing can hurt you. Great peace of labor, love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I'm not sure if I've ever arrived to the place where nothing would offend me. Just being honest with you. And I'll not take time tonight to give an essay on offenses. But the Bible does use the word in a variety of ways. It does have several definitions. Uh, to offend could be to displease or to make angry. We can be offended by, by rude people or by... By harsh language, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. Their contentions are like the bars of a castle. That's one way that you can use that word. The word offend in the Bible is also used to transgress the law, to to sin. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point. He is guilty of it all. The word offend can be to cause somebody to stumble, to To tempt someone, wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I'll eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. And so we've all been offended. We've been offended in different ways. We all have offended our brother in a lot of different ways. And Jesus said that you're not going to live where offenses will not enter into our relationship with one another at some point in our life. When somebody gets offended, we say that they are hurt in their, in their feelings. And feelings is a touchy subject, but, but all of us really are just a bundle of about a thousand emotions. Uh, today, I have been stressed. I have been calm. I have been frustrated. I have been very understanding. I have been aggravated. I have, I have been glad. I have been just an emotional wreck all day long today. And that's just how it goes sometimes. Uh, feelings and emotions are what makes us aware of ourselves without feelings, and then we would just be like, be like robots. But we have feelings, and so we can laugh, we can try, we can love, and we can hate. 
And feelings are not bad, but they do come with, with, with some warning labels. It, it is good that we are able to express how we feel. If you didn't have any emotions, then how would you ever express any sympathy? How would you love God with all of your heart if you didn't know what it was to love? And so our feelings are, are, are a gift from God. It's one way that we express our emotions. We express what is inside of us. It is how a child um, feels secure. It's how a wife feels loved. It's how a young person feels like they are wanted in the home. But the warning label is for us not to be led by or controlled by our emotions. He that hath no rule over his spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. And part of growing up is learning how to control your emotions. You have to manage the feelings that are inside of you. And we learn that our feelings are not infallible. You you can't trust your feelings just because you feel something. That's a bad gauge for making decisions. We have to be a guard as to who accesses our emotions and we put up fences around them. There there are some people, I'll be honest with you, there are some people that give me the the heebie-jeebies and I have all kinds of evil thoughts when I think about them and I I can't let that happen. I, I can't let my emotions lead the way. They don't get to make decisions for me. We, we know that making an emotional-based decision, that's a poor basis for making a decision. And, and I have to bear that in mind, or else my feelings would take over and they run my life if I let them. But my emotions are to be my servant, not, not my ruler. And as wonderful as feelings are, feelings can be negative. I, I can have good feelings, I can have bad feelings. Uh, You can be disappointed, you can be hurt, you can be lonely, you can feel rejected. And you can be wounded in your soul just like you're wounded in your body. But nobody can see the wounded soul unless you choose to show that to them. I can see if you broke your arm and you were in a cast, that becomes obvious. But you can come in with a wounded spirit and nobody can see that. And there's no medicine, there's no pill, there's no prescription, there's no splint that you can put on that like you would for a a broken limb. And so a child that feels unloved by his parents, there's no pill that's going to fix that. A a, a wife that feels uh, beaten down and emotionally abused by her husband, there's there's no prescription that you can go to the drugstore and, and get to fix that depression, loneliness, all of those things. You, you can get a pill to mask it, but you cannot get a pill to fix it. You can get something to excite you. You can get, you can get something to sedate you. You can get something to pick you up. You can get something to calm you down. But there is no pill to fix what is inside of you. And the thing about your body is that your body cannot differentiate between physical pain and emotional pain. The same secretions that the body releases for physical pain are the same as for emotional pain. It can't tell the difference between physical hurt and emotional hurt. And Jesus is talking to the disciples about about feelings. Because because offenses take place in in the emotions. If you offend me, then it it is my feelings that you hurt. It's not my body that suffers, but it's my, it's my spirit. I become wounded in my spirit. And offenses come when I care more about how I feel than I care about how you feel. When somebody speaks harshly, when somebody is rude, when somebody cuts you down, when somebody tells you that you're not worth anything, 
It's because they don't care about your feelings. They don't care if they hurt you. In fact, sometimes, sometimes somebody will tell you you're not worth much because they want to hurt you in, in spirit. They, they, they want to cut you down. That's how a lot of people treat you. And, and I can't strike you with my fists, but I'll strike you with my words. I may not be able to stomp on your face, but I'll, I'll stomp on your heart. I, I could get arrested if I did to you what I, I really wanted to do, but there are no laws against me using my words to cut you down. And depending on who it comes from, the pain that is caused to the emotions can be a whole lot worse than the pain caused to the body. And Jesus said it is impossible, but that offenses will come. You may be the kindest, sweetest, loving everybodyest, get along with everybody, encourager, people person that there is. But you are going to get offended. You cannot be so sweet that somebody somewhere is not going to like you. There's 8 billion people on the planet. At least one of them is not going to like you. And that doesn't mean that you don't care. It doesn't mean that you become an ogre. But you are going to get offended somewhere down the road. You may be of such strong disposition. You are the most secure man that there ever was. You have the thickest skin. But somebody is going to hurt you. They may not mean to. It may be a big misunderstanding. They didn't get the story straight. They didn't get all of the facts. But you're not going to live your life above offense. We want to because offense is so stressful. When you are offended, it has a way of consuming all of your energy and all of your time. I go to bed with it. I wake it up in the morning when I get out of bed. And offenses have a way of taking over and demanding that I pay attention just to that. And if you notice that we are living in a land of offenses, everybody's on edge. Everybody is upset. It seems like that everybody is offended about something. You can't say nothing to nobody without somebody getting upset. It's just where we live. I mean, the white people don't like the black people, and the black people don't like white people, and the poor people resent the rich people, and the rich people don't like the poor people, and the employee is mad at the boss, and the kids are upset, and the wife is mad, and the husband is sulking. That's where we live. Our society is geared to pit against one another against each other. Politicians, their role is to convince you that all of your problems is, pro- is, is because of somebody else, and I've never seen a time when you can't say anything to nobody because the whole world is on edge. And it matters. It matters in the church. If you have offended somebody and you know it and you don't care, or if you are the one with the offended spirit, then I'm going to tell you that it's going to affect your spiritual life. It's going to affect your Bible reading. It's going to affect your worship with God. It's going to affect your fellowship. And if it didn't matter, Jesus wouldn't have dressed it. But Jesus said, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, go 
thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Here's what he said. I don't want your gift. I don't want your special. I don't want your sermon. I don't want you teaching in the Sunday school class. What I want you to do is I want you to go to your brother and I want you to get it right. I want you to be reconciled. I want you to have some unity and some peace and harmony with each other. And once you're on speaking terms with him, then you can be on speaking terms with me. But leave the altar. Be reconciled to your brother. And when you're reconciled, then come and bring your gift to the altar. It does matter. So in this passage, the Lord Jesus speaks to his disciples about offenses. And he touches on three subjects. I give you, and then I'm going to verse number six. But the first point that he speaks to them about is that there is a protection from offenses. Look at verse number two. He said it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Because offenses are such a part and parcel of our life, because it affects us, it affects others, God gives us some guidance on how to deal with it. And the first thing that he says is be careful to don't offend others. Be careful how you talk to them. Be careful how you treat them, especially little ones. And here's here's what I would say to you tonight, that God is watching how you and I deal with each other. And God gets angry if you offend one of his little ones. Can I say it like this? God cares how you treat your wife. God cares how you talk to your little sister. God cares how you treat the minimum wage employee that you're over. God cares. One of the marks of Christianity is how you treat unimportant people. People that can't do anything for you. If you will watch how people treat people that they think are beneath them. People that can't do anything for me. If you watch how they treat them, that will give you a good mark of their character. I told my girls the other day at our church, I said, if you date a guy, I know we don't date, but I said, if you date a guy, and if he is rude to the waitress, he's going to be rude to you. I, I would just run away. Anybody can treat somebody that they want something from good. But that person that can't help you, that person that cannot advance you, that person that has no way of retaliation against you, how you treat that person is a better barometer of your Christianity. And what Jesus does in verse number 2 is that Jesus comes to the defense of the defenseless. He says, little ones... Can't be, they can be offended, but, but they can be manipulated. They're vulnerable. They're weak. They don't have a way to get back. Have you ever watched an older person berate a child and that child has to just take the tongue lashing? Have you ever seen that? Uh, have you ever, have you ever seen a, a, a ogre of a husband that has just beat his wife into the ground and just beat her into the ground? 
She can't lift up her head and look you in the eyes because she's been living with this monster for all of her life. Have have you ever seen a boss who was a bully at work and threatened this poor worker that has to take the abuse because they've got to have the job. They can't do so. They just got to take whatever abuse there is. I'm going to tell you something. God is on the side of the helpless. God stands up for the weak and the defenseless. And Jesus says, if you're going to do that to a little one, then what you got coming back to you is so bad that you ought to go just drown yourself in the sea. That'd be better for you. Why does he say that? I'll tell you the reason he says that. Because the Father will deal with people that's dealing with you. So you don't have to. If God is going to take care of it, then I don't have to. If God is going to fight my battles, then I don't have to fight my battles. Because the only thing that I know to do is to get in the flesh and try to get a pound of flesh and get a little bit of vengeance. But I'm going to tell you something. If God says I'm going to take care of that, then it alleviates the heavy pressure of vengeance off of me because vengeance is never good and vengeance never resolves for anything and vengeance never makes for a peaceful end. And Satan wants you to strike out and defend yourself and hate them and and, and say something and slander them and get back at them. And God says, I'll go to their defense. God, a man in my church has been slandered horribly, horribly. I had people writing me emails telling me all the things that he did and the accusations are just, they're just so outlandish. It's just, it's like, really? I mean, make up something believable. This is just crazy. He called me. He said, what do I do about it? Don't do anything. Man, he's wrote long emails and man, he's, he's getting all these defenses. I told him Sunday, I said, you're going to lose the battle. You can't win the battle this way. Just smile, laugh, say thank God you don't know the whole real truth about me. And just go on. Let anybody believe what you want to believe. There's protection, there's protection. But but then I want you to see that there there is a purging. Because in verse 2, be careful that you don't offend the little ones. But then in verse number 3, what about when somebody offends you? He moves in verse 3. From the offender to being the offended. Look at verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Now the key word in verse number 3 is the word trespass. It's not just a a misunderstanding. It is a trespass. He... Has trespassed against me. He's wrong. What he said. The way he said it. Who he said it to. The way he put it on Facebook. He accused me of something that I didn't do. He doesn't have all the facts. He didn't get his story straight. He, he jumped to conclusions. He trespassed against me. Now here's what the Bible says. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, and this is my favorite word, rebuke him. Well, thank God for that. Because I got a rebuke. I've been working on it for a couple of days, in fact. Just a couple of more words, let me polish it up, and I will be ready to deliver it. Because when somebody trespasses against me, I can come up with a rebuke. I got a lot to say. I got to edit it out a little bit so that I can keep my preaching job, but I got a rebuke. 
I mean, if I told you what I really thought, we would need some intervention. But the rebuke is not letting off steam. The rebuke is gentle and it's gracious and it's with the intent of reconciliation. I can rebuke you and be just as wrong as the person that I'm rebuking. Depending on the attitude that I approach it from. So he says, he says, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. Well, we don't do that anymore, do we? No. We don't talk to anybody. We talk about people. I'm going to go home Sunday night and I'm going to talk to my wife about you. Huh? Isn't that what we do? If we, if, boy, if we could just not be church people and be real people for just a minute tonight. Huh? Yeah, I, I didn't talk about you, talk to you. I'm going to go I'm going to talk about you. Huh? No, he says go to eyeball to eyeball, man to man, face to face. Hey, brother, you're wrong. You, you trespassed against me. I don't know what your motive was. doesn't really matter. But you made something up. It was wrong. And I just want you to know so this thing doesn't fester and get out of hand. And, 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 and I, just, I, just, I just think this thing needs to be right. And then Jesus says, He says rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive them. And at that point, all those disciples listened to Jesus, nodded their head, and they said, Amen. That's right. John looked at Peter and Bartholomew looked at John. So, boy, that's good preaching right there. Boy, that would help all of us. That's the Christian thing to do. They took notes. They put it in the fly leaf of their Bible. We're going to make a plaque. We're going to put it on the wall. If he repent, forgive him. That, that, that's good preaching, Jesus. But Jesus wasn't done. So in verse number four. And if he trespass against the seven Times in a day. And just in case you missed it. Seven times in a day. Turn again to thee saying I repent. (laughs) Eight o'clock in the morning your phone rings. You answer the phone. Brother, this is Bill down at the church. You got a minute? Yeah, brother. Yeah, brother. What, what's going on? Brother, been up all night. Would have called you early. Didn't want to get, get out of bed. But I, I, need, I, I need to apologize to you. The other day, John was talking to me. He was talking about you. I don't know how I came up. And he said some things about you. I don't know if it's true or not, but I bought into it. And we spent about an hour saying some things about you wasn't true. And if that ain't bad enough, I went and repeated it. And I've spread it out. And brother, God has just been tearing me up about it. I ain't slept all night about it. I know it was wrong. It was slanderous gossip. It's so false discord. And I know I'm not getting peace until I just call you and tell you, brother, I'm sorry. I have no excuses. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And on a man in this room would say, oh, brother, I'd be glad to forgive you. Brother, I appreciate you calling me. Took a man to do that. Consider it done. I forgive you. Don't never, never bring it up again. 9.30, phone rings. Brother, it's Bill again. I, 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 I'm so embarrassed to call you again. He said, but I, I got to apologize. When I got done talking to you, John called me back. And he told me some more stuff about you. I, I don't even think it's true, but I, I, I don't know why. But I listened to it. And I shared some gospel with him and brother for an hour. And, and, and I just called you just again. 
And, and I'm told, brother, I, I am so sorry. Brother, would you, would you forgive me? Oh, brother, don't worry about it. I, I've done it too. I, I forgive you. I forgive you. 1045, the phone rings again. <laughs> brother, it's Bill again. Huh? I, 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 hate, I hate to tell you this. Huh? I, I'm going to tell you. After three, four times, hmm, I'm not even sure you're sincere. Huh? Seven times in a day? I was good that first time. I was good the second time, to be honest with you. Now that third time, I'm getting a little bit iffy. But seven times a day, Lord, I'm not saying I won't. I'm not saying that I will. I'm, I, I, Lord, you don't know I can't. I, I don't know that I can't. Lord, I, I'm just not sure about this. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus upped it up some more. He said 70 times 7. We have now gone from addition to multiplication. (laughs) And it is not that you get a tally sheet and count the 490 times. But when we get to 490, we are done. It is over. There will not be 490. No, it's not that. Here's what he's saying. He is saying that if you don't forgive when you get offended and you're hurt and you're bitter and you're vengeful, the only damage that it's going to do is the damage to your soul. And Jesus said it doesn't matter how many times, whether it's seven times in a day or 70 times seven, you better forgive them. There's no other remedy. There is no other way to get that offense out. Those disciples listened to that. So it's interesting what they said in verse 5. The apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. And I thought, what does faith have to do with forgiveness? Somehow these disciples have made a connection between faith and forgiveness. I see a connection between grace and forgiveness. I need more grace. Mercy, Lord, I'm going to need more mercy. Lord, long-suffering, but no, faith. If I am going to go to this level, if I am going to be able to forgive this much, if this is what it's going to take to root the bitterness out of my life, then what I am going to need is I am going to need more faith. Faith. Faith to believe that God will take care of it. Faith to believe that though the enemy rages, God stands for me. Faith to believe that it was good that I was offended. Faith for me to believe that though you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Faith for me to leave my defense in your hands and not seek my own vengeance. I'm going to need more faith. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A pure heart is a heart that's uncontaminated. It is a heart that it has no pollutions. And there's a lot of things that contaminate our heart and pollute our heart and hurts and bitterness and hard feelings. And all of that is one of those things. And, and there's people that sit in our church and they have a contaminated heart. And if somebody points it out, what you want to do is you want to defend the contamination. Yes, I know that my heart is polluted. But let me tell you why my heart is polluted. Let me tell you what they did. Let me tell you what they said. I know that my heart is not pure and I know it's not fresh and I know it's not sweet. But I have a reason. And the reason is killing you. A few weeks ago, my uncle passed away, my dad's older brother. And um, my uncle used to be a preacher. And 
My uncle preached the night that my dad got saved as an 18-year-old boy in West Virginia. A few years later, my uncle left his wife, married another woman, and um, left, left his wife. They had six kids. Got out of the ministry and, and, and what have you. And so my uncle passed away. When my uncle left his wife and those six kids, those six kids grew up hating their dad. Fifty years of anger, bitterness. In fact, some of the kids didn't even come to his funeral. They were afraid that if a couple of the kids came, that they might become just to create a ruckus. One of the daughters, five minutes after my uncle passed away, posted a long diatribe on Facebook, just blasting, blasting. Such anger, such bitterness, such contamination. There's people sitting in our church that have a contaminated heart. It's not pure. And as a result of it, you can't see God. You can't see Him in the music. You can't hear Him in the preaching. You can't see Him in the Bible. You can't see Him when you come to church. And you have your reason, but your reason is killing you. You, you got a reason for an offended heart. And you could stand and you could give a defense of it. But wouldn't you just rather see God? You say, oh, preacher, you don't know what has happened to me. You don't know what's in my past. It is impossible. Hey, can I tell you that they beat him until he was unrecognizable as a man. They plucked his beard out. They stripped him of his clothes. They stripped his robe off of him. They tied him to a post and they beat him until his entrails were coming out. They put a crown of thorn on his head. Then they drove nails in his hands and his feet. And they hung him there in the hot Middle Eastern sun. And while he was hanging there, he didn't curse them and he didn't cuss them and he didn't curse their children but here's what he said Father forgive them for they know not what they do while they are killing him he prayed for them and no matter what they did they could not contaminate his heart and his heart was as pure while he was hanging on that cross as it was the day he was born in Bethlehem you can't make me hate you you can't make me curse you you can't make me wish you evil you can't make me curse you back it's got to be a purging, a purging. But I want you to notice in verse number six, there's a prevention. The Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Now that's a familiar statement that the Lord Jesus makes because he actually makes it three times in the gospel. Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 21, Luke chapter 17, it is three different occasions. In Matthew chapter 18, there's a parallel passage where Jesus said, Because of your unbelief, verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you should say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it should remove, and nothing should be impossible unto you. Matthew 21, again, he's talking about faith. He says, Be thou, if you have faith, you can speak to this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and it should be done. In both cases of Matthew, the subject is not offenses, the subject is faith. You need faith to be able to do the works that I have called you to do. But in Luke chapter 17, that's not the subject. The subject is offenses. So in Luke chapter 17, he deviates. He does not say, speak to the mountain and be removed. He says, speak to the sycamine tree. And the sycamine tree would be removed. And it is the only place in your Bible where you find the sycamine tree. There's a sycamore tree. But it is not the same as a sycamine tree. 
And Jesus said, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you could speak to the sycamine tree to be cast into the sea. It would be plucked up by its roots and cast it far away from you. And understand that when Jesus said sycamine tree, he wasn't just picking out a tree. He could have said oak tree, apple tree, but it would not have fit the analogy. The sycamine tree stands for something. When he said sycamine tree, he meant to say sycamine tree. And in this instance, what needs to be removed are the offenses. The offenses, whatever the offense are. And Jesus could have said, speak to your hurt, speak to your offenses for them to be removed. But he uses, you understand, he uses a symbol of those offenses, speak to the sycamine tree. Nothing else would fit the analogy in this chapter. And I thought, what does a sycamine tree have to do with me? And so I began to research the sycamine tree. And a lot of Bible commentaries and Bible dictionaries say that the sycamine tree is the same as the mulberry tree. In the Middle East, there was a tree called the black mulberry fig tree that looked a lot like a sycamine tree. And because they look so much alike, they they look almost identical, then a lot of people mistakenly believe that the black mulberry fig tree and the sycamine tree are the same. There is one difference between the black mulberry fig tree and the sycamine tree, and it is in the taste of the fruit. The mulberry, the black mulberry, has a fig-like fruit, and it is very, very sweet. They call it a rich man's food because it's a luxury, it's a delicacy is what it is. Only rich people could afford that. The sycamine tree had an identical-looking fruit that looked just like a black mulberry fig, except it is very, very bitter. Because it was so bitter, it was very cheap. It was a poor man's food. They say that the sycamine fig was so bitter, you couldn't just eat a sycamine fig at one time. It was so tart that you could just take a little bite, chew on it. So bitter, so tart, you had to set it down. Then you'd come back, take another little nibble, chew on it, and then you had to set it down. Then you'd come back, and, and, and just every once in a while, come back, we'll come around. And how interesting that when Jesus said a sycamine tree, everybody would immediately associate the sycamine tree with that bitter thing. And offenses have a way of nibbling. Just, just chew on it just a little bit, set it aside. Come back, chew on it just a little bit. And set it aside. Come back and nibble on it just a little bit and set it aside. And it just keeps bringing in bitterness and a heaviness back to your soul. You chew on that offense and you go off and then you come back and you pick it back up and you chew on it a little bit more and you set it aside. You come back and you chew on it a little bit more. Get a little bit more of that bitter attitude, a little bit more of that bitter spirit. And Jesus said that if you had faith in me, then you could speak to that tree that has such a bitter fruit and cast it out from you. The sycamine tree not only was bitter, but the sycamine tree grows in very dry environments. It needs hardly any water to grow. The palm tree grows best close to the river. It's got to have water. But the sycamine tree thrives in the desert where it is dry. It is hard. For offenses and hurt feelings and bitterness and anger, it is hard for that to grow in a spiritually vibrant environment. When you are dry in your spirit, when your prayers have dried up, when your Bible reading is lifeless, when your prayers are listless, when the, that's the environment for bitterness and hostilities to grow. I tell you, when you're listening to preaching all day long, you got Christian music going on in the car radio all the time. When you're singing and you're getting up with a song in your heart, it's hard for offenses 
branches to grow and to thrive in that. I tell you that the sycamine tree, it grows best in dry environments. And here's what I found about the sycamine tree, and this is strange to me. But I found a number, a number of commentaries that said that in the Middle East, the most common use for the sycamine tree wood was to build coffins with. I don't know why. But in the Middle East, they always used the sycamine wood for caskets. If somebody went out and cut down a sycamine tree, and they're dragging it to the carpenter's shop, you just know it's going to be associated with death somehow. It's probably going to be used. They didn't build furniture with it. They didn't build tables and chairs. They built coffins with it. And the end of this thing, if it is unforgiven, if it is unresolved, if it is not given to the Lord, it is going to end in a casket of some kind. This hurt, this offense, this anger, this bitterness, the matter, the preacher, the matter, the wife, whatever it might be. I tell you, the devil is going to use it to kill your joy and kill your testimony and kill your peace and kill your walk with God. It's going to end in death somehow. This is what I found out about the sycamine tree. The sycamine tree was known most for its root system. It had a root system that not only went deep, but it went wide. And it was nearly impossible to uproot. Down in Florida we have, I don't know if you have them up here, down in Florida we have sago palms. Sago palms. If you have a sago palm in your yard, it's the biggest nuisance ever. You can't hardly get out all the roots of a sago palm. I mean, they just spread everywhere. And they say of the sycamine tree that the root system would spread and it would entangle itself. It would wrap around the roots of other trees. That's why Jesus didn't say speak to a mountain because a mountain doesn't have roots. He picked out a tree that has roots that spread wide and it takes over territory and it goes down and it gets twisted in the roots of other trees and it becomes so embedded and so twisted that you can hardly root it out. You can cut it down. But you won't know that you got it all out because somewhere, somewhere it's going to pop up again. And when you cut down a sycamine tree, you got to get more than the root. You've got to worry about the root. And if you let that offense, if you let that bitterness, if you let it fester in your heart, it's going to entangle itself in relationships and, and in church life and in joy. And it'll run wild all over your soul and before long. It's so entwined in every part of your life, it's almost impossible to get up. And you can read your Bible and it's twisted. And you can try to pray and it's twisted. You try to sing, but it's twisted there. You come to the altar and you try to get somewhere and it's just impossible. And Jesus said the only thing that's going to uproot the sycamine tree is you have enough faith in me to trust me. He says, I can take that anger and I can uproot it and I can put peace there. I can take that bitterness and I can uproot it. And I can put love there. I can take all of that hurt and I can uproot it. And I can put healing there. And those things in your life that's so twisted and gnarly. Jesus said, if you'll trust me. If you'll let me fight your battles. If you'll give that to me. Let me do a work not in his heart but in your heart. I can uproot even the sycamine tree. And cast it into the sea. The sycamine tree was a very big tree. The sycamine tree would grow, they say, as tall as 30 feet high. Branches spread out. You may know that the roots of a tree normally go as far as the branches. 
the sycamine tree was a huge shade tree. And because of that, if they ever planted a sycamine tree, they would normally plant it at the crossing of two paths. Travelers coming no matter which direction. But you come to that sycamine tree in the crossway as a place to sit down and rest before you decide which path you're going to choose. And you can choose to follow the path of offense and anger and hurt. And I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to let go. Or you could choose to follow the path of the Lord. I can't, but you can. I want to trust you enough to handle the things that are handling me. And I want you to take that thing and I want you to root it out of my life. And all that I can do is commit my ways to you and walk by your spirit and pray for your power and lean on your word. And by the help of God, the path that I choose is forgiveness. I choose to trust Christ for my defense. I take the path of resting you. And if I came in here tonight with something twisted around my spirit, I want to defend it. If you'll sit down for five minutes and let me tell you why, you'll understand. But if I came in here tonight with something all twisted up, I wouldn't leave with it. All that it's doing is killing your spiritual life, your relationships, your walk with God. If you just had a little bit of faith to give it to God and see what God can do with it.